Most holy and gracious Father, Father, I bow my head, giving you praise, honor, and glory for being the majestic and almighty God. I pray, Father, that you continue to bless these studies. Please continue to bless us as we navigate our way through the book of Acts and try to appreciate the work and the ministry of the great apostle Paul. Father, bless us to develop the same kind of evangelistic spirit, understanding the urgency for all people around us to obey the gospel before it's, before it's too late. Bless us, Father, as we try to preach and teach and expand the borders of your kingdom in the 21st century. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another Bible study video. We are on our ninth lesson in a series of studies we've entitled Paul's Preaching. We're looking at the work, the mission work, the missionary work, the preaching work of the great apostle Paul. After this study, we're going to have one more study, and then that will conclude this series. In the month of September, we're going to start a new series of lessons that we will have online that's going to be about some of the parables of Jesus. And so I hope you'll tune in for those lessons. If you have your Bible, go ahead and take it out and go over into Acts, the 24th chapter. Please go in your Bible to Acts chapter 24. In this study, we're going to cover three chapters. We're going to look at Acts 24, 24, 25, and 26. Now, if you remember in our last video and our study of Acts chapter 21, 22, and 23, we found the Apostle Paul sailing from Miletus and eventually arriving safely in the city of Jerusalem. Remember in our last video, we found the Apostle Paul arriving in Jerusalem near the day of Pentecost. He is there primarily to deliver a contribution for the needy saints there. He also keeps a, custom, a customary vow according to the law of Moses. He does that probably for the sake of influence among the Jews, those he is trying to reach with the gospel. We also found him being falsely charged by the enemies of the gospel, the Jews. They falsely charged him with bringing a Gentile, Trophimus, into the temple. We also read about him and learned about him being arrested and beaten by the Jews He's also questioned by the Jews, and he's questioned by the Romans, and then he's eventually questioned by the Sanhedrin Council. We also learned about him through the providence of God avoiding an assassination attempt on his life. This was, this was able to be avoided through the help of his nephew. And then we concluded that study by considering how Paul, for his protection, was eventually moved from Jerusalem to Caesarea Maritima. He's kept in Herod's Praetorium for about two years. And this was to preserve his life because the Jews were trying to kill him. 
Now, that was the territory that we covered concerning Paul's preaching work in our last video. Now we're going to move on in this video. We're going to talk about Acts 24. We're going to look at Acts 24. In Acts 24 and verse number 1, and remember, there are questions for you to fill out and answer as we go through this material. Hopefully, it will help you retain it even better because this is a lot of material that we're going to cover in this video. In Acts 24 and verse 1, we see that when the Jewish leaders arrived in Caesarea Maritima, they were very prepared. They were very prepared to bring accusations against Paul. They actually bought, brought with them Tertullus, a professional lawyer. Tertullus told many lies about Paul. He brought many accusations against Paul. He probably was a very skilled lawyer, someone who was very eloquent in his speaking. And he told the governor Felix, he charged Paul before Felix with being a troublemaker. He said, this man, Paul, is a troublemaker to the Jews. He's a pest. He is someone who, who came to Jerusalem trying to defile and desecrate the temple. He brought some very ridiculous charges against the Apostle Paul. He charged them with being a troublemaker, a pest, and someone who was trying to defile and desecrate the temple. He says that when Paul was arrested at the temple, the Jews were, were doing no wrong. They were minding their own business. They were being peaceful. But the Romans, when they arrested Paul, they were the ones who incited the violence. Ladies and gentlemen, that is just a flat-out lie. When you go back and read the account of Acts chapter 21, you see that the opposite was true. It was the Jews who were being violent. It was the Jews who, who were beating Paul and slapping him around. They were the ones who were trying to kill Paul. The Romans were the ones who saved Paul's life and were trying to, to get things peaceful. Tertullus, he, he told a lie. He said the Jews were the ones that were peaceful. And the Romans incited the violence and the Jewish leaders who were there on this occasion, that they were in full agreement with these bogus charges. They were in full agreement with everything that the lawyer they hired said. And I want to suggest to you that these charges they're bringing Concerning Paul, these are some serious charges. These were some very serious charges. You see, if the Apostle Paul was convicted of these charges, then it is very likely that he would be sentenced to death and executed very quickly, like what you find even in the case of our Lord Jesus. So these are some very serious charges they're bringing to Felix, the governor, concerning Paul. Now, as far as Paul's defense goes, we can read about Paul's defense in Acts 24, beginning with verse number 11. In Acts 24, beginning with verse 11, we read about how Paul defended himself when it came to these bogus charges. First, in verse 11, he makes the point that he couldn't be guilty of these charges 
they are making towards him because he didn't have enough time. In verse 11 of Acts 24, he says, you should take note of the fact that no more than 12 days ago I went to Jerusalem to worship. Paul says I hadn't even been in Jerusalem that long. I haven't even been in Jerusalem two weeks yet. I've been going across the world preaching the gospel. I didn't have enough time to, to, to be this troublemaker and pest that, that the Jews are are, are saying about me. I didn't have time to be that kind of person. I didn't have time to lead a rebellion and to start a riot in the city of Jerusalem. He, he makes the point that he had only been in Jerusalem for 12 days, and then he also brings to light their, their lack of evidence. Their, their lack of evidence for the charges they're making towards him. In verse number 12, he says, neither in the temple nor in the synagogues, nor in the city itself, did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot. There are no eyewitnesses, no legitimate eyewitnesses to validate these charges. He says in verse 13, nor can they prove to you the charges of which they now accuse me. Paul says they don't have any evidence to back up these, these charges they're making against me. He says these are false charges. These are lies. And then in verse number 14, he goes on to talk about the real reason, the real reason why they arrested him, the real reason why he's been imprisoned for the last couple of years. In verse 14, Paul says the main reason why they have brought these false charges against him is because he promoted the way. The way, John 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Paul was on trial because he promoted the way. He promoted the way of truth. He promoted the way of the gospel. He promoted the way of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm on trial because I promoted the way. He says, I'm on trial because... I am preaching the truth concerning the God of our fathers, the God of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Paul says, I serve that same God, the one true and living God. I am preaching about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises that God made to our forefathers. I am preaching that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. I'm also preaching the resurrection. How going back to the time of the Old Testament, it was predicted by the prophets that there would be a resurrection. There would be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Paul says, I'm on trial right now because I preach the gospel. Because I preached about Jesus. Because I preach Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Because I preach that there will be a resurrection. There will be a time when the dead are raised, both the righteous and the wicked. You see, Paul boldly, he boldly preached the resurrection of the dead. And because of that, he says, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience both before God and before men. Paul says, my conscience is clear because I'm preaching the truth. Paul goes on to talk about 
why he had come to Jerusalem in the first place. He didn't come to Jerusalem to start a riot and among the Jews. Instead, he came to Jerusalem to deliver this contribution for the needy saints. He came to Jerusalem to provide relief for the needy Christians in the city that were there due to a famine. He also talked about his time in the temple, how he was paying a vow or keeping a vow. And it was the Jews from Asia who caused a ruckus. They were the ones who caused an uproar at the temple. They falsely accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple, and he did not do that. He also challenged these Jews who opposed him to present sufficient evidence. Stop bringing false accusations or stop just bringing accusations and present real legitimate evidence. Paul says that their charges were false and they had no real evidence because the main reason why he was there wasn't because he had started a, a riot or an uproar at the temple. Instead, the main reason why he was there was because he preached the resurrection. It was because he preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was because he preached about a day in which both the righteous and the wicked were going to be raised. If you remember, the Sadducees, people who were also on the Sanhedrin council, they did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in life after death. They did not believe the dead were going to be raised. And Paul preached. He preached the opposite of what they believed. He preached the resurrection of the dead. He preached the resurrection of Jesus, and that's why they had a problem with him. Now, when you move on to verses 22 through 27 of the text, the scripture says that after Paul made this defense, and it's a powerful defense, Felix, the Roman governor Felix at this time, he had a more exact knowledge about the way. That is, Felix was familiar with Jesus. He was familiar with the church. He was familiar with Christianity. He was familiar with some of the aspects of the gospel. And because of that, because he was familiar with the teaching of the resurrection, he decided to put off Paul's accusers. He wasn't going to make a, a decision at that moment. Instead of rendering a verdict or making a decision concerning Paul and these accusations from the Jews, he put Paul in prison. He deprived him of his freedom, but he still gave Paul an opportunity to preach the gospel. You see, Felix knew some things about Christianity. He knew some things about the truth of the gospel, but he wanted to know more. And so he and his wife, Bernice, they summoned the Apostle Paul. They summoned the Apostle Paul. I'm sorry, not Bernice, but Drusilla. Bernice is married to King Agrippa. We'll talk about her later. Drusilla is Felix's wife, and they summoned Paul, and they heard him preach the gospel. Felix and Drusilla met with Paul in private, and they heard him speak about righteousness, that is the means through which God makes men righteous. That's through the means of the gospel. Paul makes that point in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 17. Over in Romans chapter 1 
in verse number 17 after saying the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek in verse 17 Paul says for in it in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written but the righteous man shall live by faith notice how the means through which God makes men righteous today is through the gospel it is through the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. Through the gospel, we learn about our sins and how Jesus' blood is the remedy to our sin problem. Through the gospel, we develop biblical faith, necessary faith to be pleasing to God. Paul preached to Felix about the means through which God makes men righteous, and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ, that is through the gospel, and then he also talks to Felix about self-control. He also talks to Felix about the fact how God doesn't put people on this earth and leave them to their own devices. Instead, he has expectations for them. He expects them to live a certain way. He expects them to control their passions, their thoughts, their words. Every aspect of their lives, God expects people to bring themselves under full submission to his will, to even bring their thoughts into captivity. Paul preached to Felix about how God has expectations concerning how people are to live their lives, they are to have self-control, and then he talked with him about the judgment to come. And doesn't the judgment go perfectly with the resurrection that Felix already knew Paul preached? You see, in addition to preaching about the resurrection, the day when, in which all the dead are going to be raised. Paul also talks about the judgment. That is, he also talked about a day in which all people will not only be raised from the dead, but they will stand before Jesus Christ and give an account for how they've lived their lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Paul preached to Felix about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment day, and after hearing those three things, the scripture says that Felix became frightened. He became afraid, and he said to Paul, go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. Notice how Felix was pierced by the message. He was pricked by the message, but he put off obeying the message. He put off becoming a disciple to another time, and unfortunately, it appears that that time never came. You see, even though Felix was touched by Paul's message, it is very likely that he did not surrender his life to God because the scripture says he kept Paul in prison for two more years, hoping that Paul would give him a bribe. So notice how he loved money more than he loved the Lord. He did not release Paul, even though he knew Paul was innocent. He very likely never surrendered himself to the gospel. He kept Paul in prison two more years, and the scripture says that he would be succeeded by a man named Festus. History tells us that Festus succeeded Felix in 60 AD. Now, let's move on to Acts 25. Go to Acts 25. Acts 24, we read about Paul's preaching to Felix, and we read about his defense before the Jews who had come from Jerusalem. Now remember, after the events of Acts 24, 
The last verse of that chapter tells us that Paul was kept in prison for two more years. Felix kept him there for two years in Caesarea. And the man who succeeded him was Festus. After becoming the governor, Festus moved quickly, the Bible says, to form a relationship with the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. He formed a relationship with the enemies of Paul. The Jewish leaders urged Festus to do something that Felix didn't do for two years, it seems, and that was bring Paul to Jerusalem for another trial. They said, well, why don't you bring Paul to Jerusalem? Now, Luke tells us in that context that the real reason why they wanted Paul to be brought to, to Jerusalem was not really so he could stay in trial, but it was because they were going to try to kill him. They were planning to ambush and assassinate him. And again, we find the providence of God at work. God is protecting Paul because Felix, or Festus, I'm sorry, refused. He refused to bring Paul to Jerusalem. Instead, he said he planned on going to Caesarea Maritima to meet with Paul in person. He says, I want to go and meet Paul in person. And eight to ten days later, Felix finally made his way down from Jerusalem to Caesarea. He met with Paul. And after, after Paul arrived, and after, or after Festus, I should say, arrived, after Festus finally arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem, they stood around Paul and they brought some serious charges against him. They brought some serious charges against Paul that they could not prove. And Paul said in his own defense, after Paul made his way to Festus to speak to Festus, Paul said in his defense, I have committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. Paul says, I'm innocent of these charges. I've done nothing wrong. I should not be in prison. I especially should not have been, been locked up for the last two years. Festus then, wishing to do the Jews a favor, he then has a change of heart, it seems, and he asked Paul would he be willing to go to Jerusalem to stand trial. Paul refused to do that. I think Paul is pretty frustrated at this time. He's been locked up for two years for something he didn't do, and the last thing he wants to do is go back to Jerusalem to go through this whole charade again with the Jews there. He reiterates his innocence. And since he knows he's not going to get a fair trial in Jerusalem or even in Caesarea Maritima before Festus, he appeals his case to Caesar. This is something that he had the right to do since he was a Roman citizen. He essentially tells Festus, I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of sitting here in this jail cell for something I didn't do. I know you're not going to give me a fair trial. I know the Jews are not going to give me a fair trial. So I'm going to exercise my right to appeal to the emperor. He appeals his case to Caesar. And the Bible goes on to say that after that takes place, 
Festus grants him that. He says, you, you can appeal your case to Caesar, but then eventually he's visited by King Agrippa. We're introduced to King Agrippa II in this chapter. You see, after Festus became the new governor, King Agrippa II and Bernice, and history tells us that King Agrippa and Bernice may been, have been involved in some incest at this time. I think Bernice was married to one of King Agrippa's uncles. And it's very likely that they have a relationship, a sexual relationship going on at this time. Well, Festus, after he's appointed the governor, he's visited and paid respects to by Agrippa and Bernice. Agrippa was part of the very infamous Herod family. He's actually the grandson of, a grandson of Herod the Great. If you remember, Herod the Great was the Herod who tried to kill Jesus as a baby. Herod the Great was the one who had built all these marvelous structures throughout Judea, including the, the temple, the temple that would be destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. Agrippa II was the grandson of Herod, and he was also the son of Agrippa I. Agrippa I is the Agrippa that is mentioned in Acts chapter 12. He's the one who killed the apostle James and locked up the apostle Peter. He's also the one that was struck dead by God because of his arrogance. Festus told Agrippa II about Paul's case. And since Agrippa was familiar with the Jewish customs, he asked to see Paul. He wanted to talk to Paul. He wanted to talk to this man that Festus says the Jews hated and they wanted to kill him because he preached about this man named Jesus Christ. He preached about how Jesus had been raised from the dead. Agrippa, since he was familiar with the Jewish customs and teachings, he wanted to meet this man, Paul, that the Jews hated so much. And so the next day, Agrippa is given his wish. In verses 24 through 27 of Acts 25, Festus explains why this meeting between Paul and Agrippa was so important. You see, since Paul had appealed his case to Caesar, for, for that to go properly, Festus had to have some concrete charges that the Jews had made against Paul, some concrete things to bring before the emperor. And so in Acts 25 and verse 24, Festus said to King Agrippa, Festus said, I'm sorry, King Agrippa and all you gentlemen here present with us, you see this man about whom all the people of the Jews appealed to me, both at Jerusalem and here, loudly declaring that he ought not to live any longer. They want him dead. But I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death. I don't see any charges that are worthy of death that can be sustained against this man. And since he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. Yet I have nothing definite about him to write to my Lord. He has nothing definite to write to the emperor about. 
Therefore, I have brought him before you all and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the investigation has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner not to indicate also the charges against him. So maybe after Paul talks to Agrippa, I can have something to write, some real charges to, to bring to the emperor. And so that brings us to Acts 26. In Acts 26, we can read about Paul's defense before King Agrippa. King Agrippa, you see, in the first verse of Acts 26, Paul acknowledges how blessed and fortunate he feels to speak to Agrippa. It, it almost like he feels relieved to talk to Agrippa. Why? Well, because Agrippa was familiar with the customs of the Jews. Festus wasn't. And so maybe Agrippa can understand better what's going on here. Paul tells Agrippa, I feel blessed with this opportunity to preach to another very prominent political figure. I feel very fortunate to talk to you, Agrippa, especially since you're familiar with the customs of the Jews. In verses 4 through 5 of the chapter, Paul then goes on to rehearse his background. He talks about how he was a Jew and how he was a Pharisee for a time. He was part of the strictest sect of their religion. He was an authentic Jew, an authentic Hebrew, and he also says that he knew he was on trial because he was preaching about the hope of the promise made to their fathers. The fathers, there's a reference to the forefathers of the Jews, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promise there is a reference to the promise that God made to Abraham that through his seed, through the Jews, someone was going to come into the world and make it possible for all people to be adopted into the family of God. That third promise, which was through Abraham's seed, through somebody in Abraham's family, that's a reference to Jesus, all families of the earth would able to be blessed. Paul says that he's on trial because he preached that Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus is the hope of the promise made by God to the fathers. The promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, because I preach Jesus, is the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham O king, I'm being accused by the Jews. Since Agrippa was familiar with the customs of the Jews and the teachings of the Jews, he would have been familiar with the promises made to Abraham. And Paul says, I'm on trial because I preach that Jesus is the, is the fulfillment of the promises. He's the fulfillment of the promise, the third promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and verse number 3. In verse number 8, Paul also makes reference to the resurrection. He says, I'm also on trial because I preach the resurrection. I'm also on trial because I preach that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And he asks Agrippa, why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? Why do people like the Sadducees? And why do some people even today have a tough time accepting the fact that God's going to raise the dead? Is anything impossible with God? If God could make a man from the dust of the earth, could he not resurrect man? Could he not bring back or reunite a man's body 
with his soul. Is that so incredible? When you consider the power of the almighty and living God. It should be incredible to consider how God is able to raise the dead. And the Sadducees had a problem understanding that and accepting that. And a lot of people do today. Paul talks about the resurrection and how he's on trial because he preached the resurrection. And then he goes back and, and he rehearses his life before he even became a Christian. He talks about how there was a time when he thought he had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He felt that it was the will of God for him to try to destroy the church, for him to go into the homes of Christians and drag them out of their homes and throw them in jail. He thought that God was pleased when he consented to the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Paul says there was a time when I thought it was God's will that I do things hostile to the name of Jesus. There's a great lesson here to consider. The lesson is our conscience can sometimes lead us in the wrong direction. We can't base truth on our conscience. Paul thought he was following the truth when he persecuted Christians, but when he heard from Jesus, he realized he was wrong. You see, when our conscience goes against what Jesus says in the gospel, we always go with Jesus. We always go with the words of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus must supersede our conscience and our own personal feelings about something. Paul then goes on to talk about his Damascus experience. He talks about how he saw the Lord, the risen Savior, on the Damascus road. He then realized that by persecuting Christians, he was opposing the truth. He says, the Lord appeared to him to make him a minister to the Gentiles. In verse number 18 of Acts 26, he says, the Lord appeared to him so that he might open the eyes of the Gentiles, so that he might help turn them from darkness to light, so that he might help bring them out of the dominion of Satan so that they can receive forgiveness of sins and be recipients of an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by Jesus. In verse 21, he says that it was for that reason, because he preached the gospel to Gentiles, the Jews seized him in the temple, and they tried to put him to death. He says, so having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to the small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. Moses and the prophets predicted the coming of the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled everything that was said in, Mo, in the writings of Moses and the prophets. I'm only preaching that Jesus is the fulfillment of the writings of the prophets concerning the Messiah. Moses and the prophets, verse 23, said that the Christ was going to suffer and that by his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Paul was used by God to help bring the Gentiles into the kingdom of God, and that's really why the Jews couldn't stand him. That's why they wanted to kill him. They did not like him preaching spiritual blessings to Gentiles. Now, after Paul gave this great speech and great defense before King Agrippa, the scripture says that Felix... Or Festus, I'm sorry, I get those two confused. It's really Festus. 
Felix Festus. They both start with if, if I get confused. Festus, Festus called Paul crazy. He called him crazy. And think of this from Festus' perspective. He's hearing Paul talk about seeing a dead man on the Damascus Road, a man raised from the dead on the Damascus Road. He's hearing Paul preach about the resurrection of the dead. He's hearing Paul say that he has been given a mission as a Jew to go preach the Gentiles. After hearing that, Festus says, you're crazy. You've gone mad, Paul. Paul said to Festus, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. The king knows about these matters. Agrippa knows about these things. And I speak to him also with confidence, as I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for these things have not been done in a corner. The work of Jesus, the work of the, the apostles, it wasn't done in a, in a corner. It wasn't done in a, in a little spot of the world or just in a little closet somewhere. Instead, by this time, the gospel was going out into all the world. Everyone in Judea, everyone in Galilee had heard about Jesus and the work of Jesus and the work of his apostles. None of these things that Paul is saying had escaped Agrippa's notice. Paul is only confirming things that Agrippa really probably already knew about. He didn't ask Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? You believe the writings of Moses and the prophets? I know that you do. I know you believe that. And Agrippa said, in a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. Notice a couple of things there. Notice how by this time, God's people are being called Christians. That's a well-known name for them. And Agrippa said that Paul's sermon on this occasion almost persuaded him. Almost persuaded him to become a Christian. Agrippa wasn't ready to surrender his life to Jesus and become a Christian. He says, I was almost persuaded. That's a sad statement. Paul says, I wish to God that whether in a short time or a long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as me, might become Christians. I wish everybody will become a Christian, Paul says. I wish you would have the same relationship with God that I do. The only difference is I wouldn't wish these chains I'm in on anyone. After Agrippa met with Paul, as he and Festus were talking in private after the meeting, he confessed to Festus this man might would have been set free. This guy's innocent. He hadn't done anything. These are false charges brought against him, and he might be set free had he not appealed his case to Caesar. Now, my dear friends, before you think Paul made a foolish decision appealing his case to Caesar, let me suggest a couple of things. First, there's no guarantee that Festus or Agrippa would have set him free. There's no guarantee of that. He's already been two years in jail when he shouldn't have been there in the first place. You're dealing with politicians here, and even at this time, many of them, many of them, not all, but many of them were corrupt. And there's no guarantee that Paul would have been let free. But also, secondly, remember the words of Jesus in Acts 23 and verse 11. Remember in Acts 23 and verse 11, Jesus told Paul when he was back in Jerusalem, he says, take courage for as you have solemnly 
witness my cause at Jerusalem, so you must. You must, Jesus says. You must witness at Rome also. Jesus says, Paul, my mission for you is to get to Rome. You're going to Rome. You're going to go and be my witness in Rome. You're going to go and preach the gospel, my gospel in Rome. That was the Lord's will for him. And so regardless of what Agrippa says here, Paul is going to Rome. He's going to Rome because that's what the Lord had planned for him. Now, where are we right now? Well, in these three chapters we've studied, we've seen Paul, we've seen him testify before Felix. We've seen him preach to Felix. We've seen him testify before the Jews again, testify before Festus, preach the gospel to Agrippa, and due to an inability to get a fair trial in Caesarea or in Jerusalem, he appeals his case to Caesar in Rome, and now he's on his way to Rome where he will testify of Jesus there. And so that brings us to the last two chapters of Paul's story in Acts. I hope you'll join me for that on Wednesday. We're going to look at Acts 27, Acts 28. We're going to wrap up our studies on Paul's preaching, and then I'm also going to just conclude that by showing you when and where Paul was when he wrote the other epistles that are in the canon of Scripture that we have not been able to mention just yet. So God bless you. Thank you for your time. I look forward to studying with you again, Lord willing, in a few days.